bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Weird Things podcast. I'm Andrew Main, joined by Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hello. Hello, good sir. Good to be back in the saddle. Yeah. We're sans bride bride today, but that'll be fixed soon enough. We'll all be here together in, a, in, in not too long. I know. We're trading off. We did the we did the Dragon Con uh, uh, panel that... Uh, that that you were you weren't on and now you're on and Brian's not on. Tell you what, there's only one man, a through line between everything. I'm not trying to toot my own horn. Jesus. Oh you, yes, yes. 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 Tis the season. You're the reason for the season. Exactly. Um well Justin, I got a few topics I wanna I wanna talk about and I do I I I, at a point, I want to geek out about two things. Um, uh, one is directly app-related. One is tangently app-related, also relates to Samsung and Oculus, etc. And it's more of a where the world is going. But before then, this would have been good with Bri Bri, but maybe maybe I'm just going to have to put you on this. You know, I don't get Spiro and the fudge. <laughs> I just get... I forget which one you are. I think I'm Spiro. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me let me pull this up. I'm gonna. So what uh, I got a I got an article here. I'm gonna send you the link to this. All right. Now every now and then I see something. I see something come up, and I'm like, oh my god, this is exciting. I cannot wait to delve into this. And this is gonna be a video. And you're going to have to use the power of your words to describe this to people. Okay? Okay. Now, you've heard of ghosts, right? Right? Yes. Okay. Now, ghosts are supposed to just, like, haunt you. They're not supposed to actually be able to touch you and stuff. It's like it's like the champagne room in a legitimate stripper club. Okay? You can see, but you can't touch. Right? be up in your face, be all around you, be freaking you out, be whispering things in your ear, like, I'm going to haunt you so good, right? But they can't, like, actually push you downstairs or stuff like that. That's something totally different. Ghosts cannot do that. You know that rule, right? I mean, well, that's, uh, according to popular lore, yeah. I mean, there's, but it's always fuzzy. You know, it's always the rule that exists so it can be broken whenever we get into into popular culture and ghosts. Like, they're always... Is is the one ghost that can push somebody down the flight of stairs, or you know, can molest somebody? Yeah, I think that's what it delves into. Like that's when you're really dealing with like a demon or something else too. Um, yes, that's it, right? Like it's it, it's when when that is uh, when it's crossed the line. When 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 uh, poop's gotten real. Yeah, there's so there's there's some debate over this, but classically speaking, ghosts can only, like, just scare you, right? They can't yeah. actually cross this barrier. That's supposed to be the rule. And, you know, this is all legitimate scientific stuff. That's why their entire departments at all the major Ivy League schools dedicated to this. It's why Google has a whole ghost program, because this is real, sure. right? Um, that's how we know it's not, by the way. <laughs> you know, Google, right, so like, 
I've We're got gonna... your link. Uh, police on the hunt for ghost burglar. There you go. All right. Now they're stealing stuff, right? Uh, should, I, should I play this uh, this clip here? Now, first, tell me your reactions to the title alone. Okay, to, to Ghost Burglar. Um, number one, uh, like you said, this seems to be stretching the, the bound. And listen, I, I'm going to say this next phrase very, very lightly. This stretches my believability about ghosts. <laughs> And and seems more in line that there are burglars who are just stealing things, and we're just finding ways that we can deal with that, and calling it a ghost. Then it would seem anywhere near plausible that these ghosts are out here stealing things for what? They're dead. What are they gonna do? Fence this stolen jewelry? Do they have ghost uh, go-betweens to to get ghost money? All right. Now listen, skeptic. Okay. You've already the one. I tried to lay down the rules of what ghosts can and cannot do, and you're like, oh, no, no, they can break the rules. They can push people down the steps. They can do stuff. They can do that. And there are two things here I want to address. Number one is uh, maybe if you're a thief in life and you're a ghost, maybe you still steal things. Think, people talk about stuff all the time. How do you know if you have a ghost in your house? Things go missing, you know. I yeah. can't find my ring. I can't find this. The child, where's the kid? Whatever. So already we know ghosts can steal stuff if they can touch things, all right? Second, where's your sense of wonder, all right? Because this is supposed to be video of a ghost, the thing we've been looking for. Long-lost video, I mean, the never-seen video, really good video, and this is the best ghost video I have ever seen. Really? Really. It is the clearest, unambiguous, you tell me what I'm seeing, I will tell you that is a ghost. It is not a reflection. It's not some video after image. I, the skeptic, a guy that spent eight years handling the million-dollar challenge for the James Randi Educational Foundation, will tell you, Justin, I clearly see a ghost in this video. So I want you to just put your skepticism aside because of what we're about to see. All right. Well, here, let me go ahead and switch over to it, and, and we'll, we'll all take a look together. This is, uh, this is the, the, the mystery of the, the ghost burglar here in Anderson, Alabama. Then, I guess that's when the moment happened, I guess we'll call it. Things get a little spooky. Security cameras captured this costume soul running back and <laughs> forth down the aisles of the store and into the back. Probably a practical joke, Halloween. People ain't got much to do, so they just get out and party and probably high. <laughs> the high-flying suspect seems to have a little trouble with his attire at one point. He didn't prepare himself very well. He, he thought about all the things. He wore gloves. He put something over his head, but he couldn't manage to keep it straight the whole time. But all right, pause it and tell people what we're seeing. Okay, all right. So here, for audio listeners, uh, Andrew's not lying when he says, I mean, and this is somebody who has staked his credibility and reputation on, on being fair and honest and, and a, a, a good steward of the scientific principles and seeing the evidence in front of him and accurately describing it. In replicatable fashion, and I can say that this is certainly a ghost for which we could replicate under scientific conditions. It's, it's on multiple cameras, mind you. Multiple cameras, right? We have a view inside the liquor store, in the warehouse, in the back, on all of them, unambiguously. So uh, it it would appear, and and I'm 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 in on this now, Andrew. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the 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 skeptics among us might call this a man with a sheet on his head. 
uh, running up and down an Alabama liquor store, picking up bottles and trying to rob them. Uh, but but I'll tell you what, that is certainly the ghost burglar, man. He's uh, he's in there trying to look for bottles of booze uh, with, a, with a sheet on his head. And the, like, the cartoon square rectangle cutout over his eyes. <laughs> The best part is the gait, the way in which he walks. He's, he's literally hunched over and, like, haunting as he runs through there. Like, he's moving in a way that would be consistent with him going, Ooh. Like, there's no audio on the, the security footage, but it is... Uh, here, hold on. Let me just go back to, to this... Uh, this this image here for anybody who's watching live because I just kind of looked out into the corner of my eye and noticed <laughs> it just it's the ghost burglar running down the street. Uh, so amazing, so funny. Uh, so how how did this come on your radar, Andrew? Listen, I have got feelers out there for all sorts of weird things and. You can imagine my excitement when I heard video footage of a ghost and a ghost burglar. I'm like, physical proof, stealing stuff. Notice notice the way objects sort of moved as he passed by, as if there was some sort of psychic force emanating. Oh, this is such an amazing image of just this guy, like... <laughs> He's literally hunched over. Literally oh, hunched over. Oh, so fun. I mean, like, if I was the liquor store owner, I would put out a notice to Dear Ghost, <laughs> you are allowed to come in anytime. Well, actually, just tell me what times you want to do. I'm going to announce for people the hauntings will occur at, like, 1130 at night. <laughs> Whatever you can carry out of the store, you're allowed to, and I would use that as an enticer. I would make him my mascot. I mean, yeah, you know, the ghost burglar is, uh, is is stealing high prices from Alabama liquor stores. Uh, rest in peace to to more than one bottle charge. Come see our spirits. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there's something there, man. The ghost burglar is, uh, you know, hopefully uh, the ghost burglar, you know, in this life or the next uh, gets his life together to the point where he's not just... Stealing, I mean, come on, these these bottles here he's grabbing at, they're, they're retailing at, like, you know, maybe $60, $70. Like, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know where you're at in either uh, your real life or the afterlife, but that's that's not the best situation to be in. I hope he gets his life together and, and does become the mascot of this fine establishment. So there you have it, folks. Proof. Proof at last. I'm going to go grab something. I'll be right back. I'm gonna, it's an illustrative point. Okay, I'm going to keep everything uh, afloat here. Welcome You're doing to- great job. Welcome to the Weird Thing Podcast. Uh, uh, as always, folks, you can go ahead and find us on, on iTunes. You know, it's something we probably don't do enough, uh, but go ahead and, and, and rate and review and subscribe. If you like the show, you know, you've been listening in a while and, and uh, having a good time, then go ahead and uh, show us some love there on the iTunes. It always helps. So... There was a couple very interesting announcements over the last couple weeks, and yeah. uh, in my hands, I have something kind of interesting. I've talked about this before, but I don't think I've ever showed this to our audio, to our, I don't think I've ever showed it to our audio audience, but uh, to our people watching live right now, and I don't know if I've ever shown this to you. Have you seen this, Justin? 
this is not the Oculus, but another device, right? Yeah. Oops. Um, this would be the Oculus. Oh. Yeah. That's the Oculus Rift version 2. This is uh, called, it's the Dive. Um, I think it's a company, Divros, whatever. I think it started as a Kickstarter. And what this is, this is another device for viewing virtual reality. If you want to view virtual reality, you want to you know, turn your head around all around there. But the way this works is really kind of clever. And it is based on some earlier ideas. And, and one of the things was like, you know, the people who are at the, the MXR lab at USC, which I visited and talked about before, have created. And what you do is you take your iPhone here. Okay. And you basically, you just, you drop it inside and close the thing up, right? And so now the iPhone effectively becomes it. You can see the two lenses there, right, which you can adjust. The iPhone becomes a virtual reality viewer using accelerometer, et cetera. If you have different kinds of software for that, you can, uh, you know, have virtual reality experiences. And the iPhone tracking is is really 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 quite good, as is the uh, the tracking in the uh, the new the Google Nexus Five, which you can use with Google Cardboard, which is their uh, virtual reality device, which I have over here. So these are all this this class of of virtual reality perhapsels that are kind of coming out now that are taking advantage that. Uh, you know, these phones are so loaded that, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but the Oculus Rift version 2, which is very uh, exciting and is really kind of the 800-pound gorilla in the space at this point, has uh, a Note 4, a Samsung Note 4, that, like, if you tear it down, it literally just says Samsung Note 4 on it. It's yeah, not... I don't have the Note 4 inside of here. I just... believe... Well, I was on a plane with somebody from... Facebook that I just visited Oculus like a week ago, and that's what she told me. Well, what I mean, I'll tell you because uh, what the uh, maybe I mean, but uh, the Samsung. Well, I'm gonna get to the Samsung Note 4 in a second. What's going on with that? Um, yeah, so they did, they did their own their own style thing. Yeah, so this is the this is the Google Cardboard Project Cardboard. This has got a Nexus 5, and this was inspired by the same thing that inspired the dive. You put your little Nexus inside of there and you do that. And then now you have this. And so now Samsung has come out with their own version of this. Samsung, it's their their VR gear. Yeah. And what it is, it allows you that. Samsung has a standalone thing coming out like this that will allow you to put a Galaxy Note inside of it. Yeah, I don't. I didn't know that the, that the Galaxy Note's inside of my Oculus uh, version 2, but there's definitely is a Samsung phone in there. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the same screens or something. Like, you actually can still see the label if you tear it apart. So there was an announcement. Samsung announced some of their products, and they had on stage John Carmack, who's the, C, the chief technology officer of Oculus. He's also a guy who created Doom, just brilliant, brilliant game developer. And one of the things that makes John Carmack very special is he's a guy that is was very good at getting down into the hardware level of computers and pushing them into areas that we didn't think they could do before. His yeah. uh, One of the first things he ever made was a side-scroller version of Mario Brothers for the PC, back when people didn't think that computers, the PCs, had enough capacity or memory ability to do side-scrolling. He figured it out. He figured out a lot of stuff. And working with Oculus, trying to figure out the latency issue, which they talk at it, it's basically... Uh, um, 
you know, getting from, uh, you know, bits to pip photons, which is like, how do you, if you turn your head, how do you make things adjust quickly enough that you don't get that lag? And there's a level of which above that lag where people get motion sick, and there's a level below that where people don't. And trying to get that critical area. So he was on stage at Samsung talking about basically what they've been doing to Samsung to help the Galaxy Note get down to that hardware layer and allow you to take a Galaxy Note and put it into a Samsung device, which this was about 40 or 50 bucks. The Samsung one is like 200 but to yeah. drop that into there. And so for an $800 Galaxy Note and a $200 Samsung peripheral, we have a $1,000 VR system. Uh, real, real quick, uh, according to iFixit on the DK2 teardown, it is a Galaxy Note 3. Instance. That would make sense. Um, <clears throat> that would make sense to me. But so anyhow... Um, you know, the next generation goes up to the, you know, like the 4 has even, uh, you know, a better display, etc. So what's exciting and interesting about this is twofold, is that you're, you know, if you're curious right now, you can already get your hands on this stuff. Um, I will tell you, like, I have the Oculus developer kit, too. It is a real developer kit. This is not a consumer product. This thing has a plethora of cords you have to plug in from your HDMI to your USB to a whole motion tracking system. Um, it's then got <coughs> drivers you need to install and put in place. On my Mac, I have a brand new Mac. Some things work, some things don't. I've got third-party things to work, but sometimes motion tracking does or doesn't. And it's because it's still in the nascent stage. There's still it's a, This is a device for figuring things out, so I don't hold any of that against it. But in the final form, the Oculus as a consumer product is still going to be a thing that you plug into your computer. Yeah. Versus what Samsung is doing with Oculus's help in creating these peripherals where you just slide a really, really good phone into, and then you can look around and have a very good experience. That we've talked about before, but I think that is going to be the future. I think Oculus is going to be the main, the, the, the bigger systems, the things like this, the next version of this is going to be real. I think gamers, hardcore PC gamers, are going to be the guys getting into this because they'll have even better image quality, even better latency. But yeah. for the rest of us, I say this. Well, it certainly is where you would see, you know, a, a lot of exciting development in, in the way that, you know, you would think would be analogous to game development uh, with with the iPhone or even and, and not only for game development because that's often kind of what we sort of draw a circle around when we look at successes on mobile but if there's a huge install base that's already out there that now only needs a hundred or hundred fifty dollar peripheral to use their phone in a completely different way then that just opens up so many avenues that's true and to make this thing work to make a really good VR viewer, it's physically, it's very, very simple. You've got two lenses. You know, the, the Google Cardboard actually recommends that you use the same lenses that the, the Dive uses. You need two lenses that uh, you can use pocket magnifying glass lenses, whatever. It's not very complicated. Spaced away from a screen that, that is split into a left and a right side. And then just something to hold it. That's, that's how complicated this is. There's nothing in here other than these adjustable lenses. It's a piece of plastic and a headband. Yeah. There are plans on, like, this was like a Kickstarter project, I believe, with, like, plans to build it from using a basic MakerBot. And so with a, you know, with a, a $400 3D printer and 12 bucks in lenses, you can make one of these. Yeah. They're not complicated. And the thing that got me excited, one was to see that Oculus was supporting the idea of using 
phones, working with Samsung to create these things. That was cool to see. Okay, they're saying like the you know, Oculus is going to be something beyond just this headset peripheral. It's going to be a technology that covers a lot of things. That was exciting. And then the other thing that was really exciting, the other thing that fell into place was watching the Apple keynote and seeing Apple embrace the larger phone because the thing that makes for a better experience is, you know, this iPhone, this is the iPhone 5S. It's great. But for VR, the screen size is smaller compared to my Nexus 5, yeah. right? Which is, you know, been a long-running debate between fanboys and stuff. And... Right. A larger screen for me was a debatable issue until I started playing a VR and I realized, man, having an even bigger screen like the Galaxy Note or whatever and being able to drop that into a dive or some other peripheral means that that pocket device that I have that I shell out, you know, 500 bucks, 600 bucks, whatever, I can then also be part of this really cool virtual reality future. Now with the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus, you have devices that should be fully capable of that. So... When when you know we, we all gathered together and had uh, you know, two big questions that raged through America last week, uh, do you get an iPhone or an iPhone Plus, and uh, who the hell is you two? Uh, <laughs> I think they're they, uh, like Coldplay. I think I think they're yeah they're kind of like that. Uh, <laughs> which by the way, I think that might be my my pick of the week was that that website you sent me. That's you know yes, like who is you two dot com or something. Yeah. Dot com. Uh, it's just all uh, Twitter comments of people uh, shocked that there's this band and they're called U2 and they showed up in their iTunes. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's just it's just this, you know. And then some people thought that U2 hacked iTunes to put their album in there. It is it is, and also made me feel really old. So. Uh, <laughs> I think the ones the ones that tickled me the most were the ones that you know you don't want to repeat on a, a polite uh, yeah. a polite language podcast. But uh, the reason why I'm going to get an iPhone six, plus, the larger one, despite the fact that I really right up until the announcement I was on so I, I was on this flight and I, I don't want to go too much into it because I I mentioned that I I had worked uh, in tech in some peripheral of tech journalism and, and she was like very like coy about talking to me and then I was like, well, like I really just make poop jokes on the internet so you don't have to worry about it. So I don't want to get too much into it. But uh, I was talking to somebody with knowledge of the Apple phones, a former employee at Apple that still has a lot of friends there and she had seen the phones and I asked her, well, which one are you getting? Are you getting the 4.7 or the 5.5? Uh, and she's like, oh, I'm going to get the smaller one and we both just talked for an hour and a half, this flight from 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 Orange County to San Francisco, in large part about why we don't want a bigger phone. And then they announced a bigger phone, and now I'm going to get a bigger phone. So what's happening <laughs> then and now? Uh, I don't know if I can fully understand, but I can say fairly confidently that part of it is that I I do want to at least for this phone. Uh, bet on VR development because I was smitten by what I saw at the VRLA uh, three conference. Uh, I, ve I I do believe that we are we're on the cusp of something that's very exciting and and very wild westy in in a way that we haven't really seen in tech in in a couple years since phones and tablets kind of matured. 
Uh, and I, I think I, I'm I'm totally with you, man. I think this is a huge, huge uh, market that I think we're all going to be really excited about in the next five years, or uh, between now and the next five years. Yeah, it's it's going to be I think something that you know is going to benefit everybody who has an interest in it. Uh, some of the bigger platforms developing games like Unity output to iPhone and to Android, you know, to, to create run times for both of them aren't a challenge or to create, you know, work things that work there. I think that you, you stick to your platform of choice and you're probably going to be very, very happy. I think that a bigger, what a bigger iPhone means is that it makes the VR experience that much better. It puts it on par with what's going to be going on with, let's say, the Samsung. And we'll see, there might be latency issues or whatever, but the, the, the thing that, 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 Apple has going for it is that its graphics rendering and metal and stuff like that is written like literally like you know just right above the chip layer, and they can do faster things and and also uh, VR can be very very graphics intensive and the one thing's about and it's nice about Microsoft processors is that other other phones can run fast but then they have to drop off pretty quickly because of the heat issues where iPhones tend to be able to run faster longer. Um, and that's just because they have control of the hardware, et cetera. And it's you know it's their trade-offs and cetera, things like that. And having Carmack work hand in hand with Samsung to create a system that is allowed to work, you know, as the lowest level you can to get that better performance is going to create, I imagine, a wonderful experience. You know, but the the the, the upshot is that there are going to be more developers now in this area. There are going to be more people thinking about VR. There are going to be more people into this trying to say, how do we do this? The iPhone. I'm a big iPhone fan. Once. Android came about, it made the overall quality of apps even better all around. You know, there was more attention in the space. We knew the direction we're going into, and it made things better. I think, you know, having Oculus and Samsung stake out, stake out you know, where they want to go, Google getting a cardboard is great, and I think now Apple having a bigger form factor phone that makes it better to have this great experience in front of your face is going to be great for everybody, and I think that we're going to be, we're that much closer now to that future. So what is the next step that makes everybody say, oh, wow, this is a thing? Is it the the killer VR on the phone experience that makes people want to buy maybe one of those $100 peripherals? Is it a super cheap and easy peripheral that everybody gets and they can experience maybe some sort of base level, like non I mean, mind-blowing in terms of what it is, but not maybe the killer... Uh, experience. What do you think happens first? I think that, you know, it might be like PCs and smartphones were for everybody else. Each person has their own sort of thing that then makes them go, oh, I get it. You know, for me, you know, the iPhone, the big part was having a browser. You know, once I had a really good browser and I could surf the web on my phone, I'm like, this is it for me. For other people, it was, you know, email. You know, a different email than, what's that? Grinding on that edge connection. Oh, my God, remember that. Um, I think that and that was, you know, for a lot of people who are big BlackBerry users, it was like, well, I have the thing that I really care about the most, the physical keyboard, so I'll wait longer. And I think everybody, it's different. Um, you know, for some people, you know, who liked, you know, who liked the sort of, the, like, a, like a PC openness sort of nature, the ability to sort of customize and tweak like they do their computers, you know, that didn't happen for them until Android came along, you know. And there was, you know, prior to Android, you had people who were, you know, Remember, um, you know, breaking, um, you know, all the sort of ways to unlock or hack your phone. That was big, and then Android came along and satisfied a lot of people and gave them the ability to get under the hood, and that made it special for them. With VR, 
I think that it might be, you know, a really interesting experience is, is when you put this on your face and you watch a movie. And it's hard to understand what it's like when you see somebody from the outside, you know, who's here just watching a regular movie because it's like, well, there's just a screen in front of your face. What's the point? But once you have this on your head and you watch a movie and you can drift your head all around, the screen feels like it's giant. You feel like you're in a cinema. You're in a different place. And with good earphones in there, the sound is different, and it's a, it literally is a different you're in a diff, you're in a virtual space, but it feels real. And that's something as simple as just content like that. And there are movie players for that, and there are movie players for the Google Cardboard, where all they do is just create this screen in front of you that you can look at and watch a movie, but with like, you know, it feels like you're in a big room with a big screen. It's different. You can be in a small room, you can be in a bedroom, you can have, you know, your girlfriend sleep next to you and you put this thing on. All of a sudden, you're transported, and that's that's a killer app. Well, I was, you know, uh, United's got this cool thing now where they uh, they're beta testing being able to just uh, stream from the plane's Wi-Fi from their servers. You can stream a movie locally, and it's free. So I watched like Zombieland on the flight out to to Vegas, but. Something like that, you know, if I could strap something to my head and and stream that movie right there, and now it looked bigger, it wasn't just me looking at my phone, like, that would be transformative. I got oh. like, uh, what if you're, you you had like, uh, and, and I, I agree with you, I think we're very much in agreement that, that this is going to be a lot more than games, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of experiences, you know, if you had a, let, let's say a, a, a Slenderman type of game, which has been its own sort of phenomenon within a certain demographic, like, I think, you know, that, people freaking out with with the helmets on their head, you know, like, totally going nuts, like, that would be, I think that could be something that would get attention, you know, that that all of a sudden it it would be a new, fun experience. Totally agree. Totally agree. And I think that, you know, one of the selling points and the reasons that people are getting excited about creating for Oculus, and I've, I've sat through a few demos, and some of the other ones are that there's there's enough really good demos out there that if you're a developer or somebody looking ahead to see what will this be like a year from now, you can see the potential there. There's there's uh you know one of the ones that the popular ones is one you're in like a dark dungeon and somebody's stalking you, and it's it's freaky. It's it's a low tech game, but the experience is 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 interesting. The the uh, Oculus demo Tuscany is this beautiful house in Tuscany that you walk through, you hear the water, you can see the leaves blowing. Um, it's a beautiful thing in of itself, and that you're going to see this idea that it could be used as something like, hey, when you want to take a break from all of this and just spend a few minutes in here, you can take yourself to a beautiful place. Late at night, if you want a different experience when you're flipping through Netflix, instead you pop this thing on your head and you play. You know, you do something in an installment sort of space. You know, you play some little horror game that maybe comes in five-minute or six-minute chapters or something like that, which is, you know, a big growing thing. So I think, yeah, I think that it's going to be, it could be gaming content. It's going to be, I'm involved with people right now developing narrative content, which is not gaming content, but like immersive sort of experiences. I'm involved in two projects for doing stuff like that because it's just, you know, an interesting area. And I don't know if this is stuff that's ready even a year from now. It'll hit prime time, but it's, the momentum is, you know, Lead starting. Yeah. Very exciting stuff. Uh, you know, it, it, it's the reason why I bought uh, an iPhone 6 Plus or will be buying an iPhone 6 Plus is because I think it is for real. And, and I'm excited because, you know, I know that I have so many friends with these uh, 
you know, big honking phablet phones that uh, I think, you know, there's going to be a reason to have them. There's going to be a, a real big new reason to go out and buy one. I'll give you another simple experience that it changes and makes better. Watching a movie, a 2D movie in here is actually, you know, in a, in, in a, in a distracting environment is a better experience than just watching it on your TV or on your screen. An even simpler thing is if you make a 360-degree photosphere, either using Android or one of the apps for the iPhone or like Microsoft has, like with Photosynth, you know, if you make a photo that goes all the way around you, just a static photo, you can view it on your phone by moving your phone around. The accelerometer shows you where you're pointing. It's cool. It's a very, very cool thing. If I take that same file, that same file that you're looking at that, and I put it into an application that lets you view it, when you have something strapped to your head and you can move your head around you, it is an entirely different experience. It is immersive. You're looking at a static scene that's not moving. It feels like you're there, but photography becomes a totally different experience. You're stepping into the photograph. Wow. And, and, it, and, it's, and I've shown, that's one of the demos I show people with. The, I'll show them some of the really cool video graphic stuff with the Android, uh, with the cardboard. Then I'll say, watch this. And I, I put them in a photosphere of my living room. Huh. And it changes. You just, you're looking around and you're like, I'm here. I'm totally here. I feel like I'm here. Wow. And, you know, that's a thing that, like, if you're looking for low-tech things, is it like, you know, I look forward to, like, I played on my Oculus. Like, there's a, uh, there's a cool uh, video walk, a thing where you can walk through the, uh, the engineering in the Star Trek Next Generation Enterprise, right? Um which is kind of cool because you look around, you hear the sounds and all that kind of thing. But, you know, you could you could create Photoshops and photos of iconic movie locations or situations and put this on there. And it's not, it's low tech. You could use existing Photoshop tools and things to create these things now. And I, and I guarantee you, it's an, it's an, it's an interesting experience. So. Certainly so. Uh, you know, do you think it gets to the point where, um, you know, Apple makes one of these peripherals, like, or or is kind of the magic the fact that this is not a big, three hundred dollar device on your head that that you know I can I can just throw one of these plastic things in my luggage and have it, you know, for when I go on the plane. I think that you know getting down to what the difference between let's say Apple and Google is, I think that Google is much better at throwing a lot of things out there and saying this works, this doesn't work. And Google Google doesn't so much make choices as much as see where things, the direction is going, and then put resources behind that and, 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 and put brilliant engineers and researchers into doing it. Um, where Apple is, you know, Tim Tim Cook was on Charlie Rose, he described it, he says, you know, he's sitting at the table, the, the famous oak table, he says, you could put every single product that Apple currently sells on that table. Yeah. Right? Apple is the largest company in the world because they focus, they drill down. I think Apple, the best thing they can do is just keep coming up with really, really, really good hardware via the phones that do this. Maybe if this thing takes off, you know, make a large screen phablet type iPhone, you know, iPod. Um, I think that, you know, incorporating these things, these technologies into, they have a, uh, they have a development environment called Metal for developing games, which is why you can play like, amazing games on these things. I think putting in, you know, core functionality into there doing that. But I think ultimately, you know, some of the best application successes happen from letting people outside of Apple, developers and whatever, just run with it. You know, I think that 
I think that you know the next you know if if the latency issues are still a problem with the iPhone 6 Plus. I think, you know, the idea by next year's phone to be able to say this should be one of the things it could do, but I don't know if it's really a good focus for them. I don't know, other than developing really cool tools. You know, I, I think it's going to be where the devs go with it. You know, yeah. if our cool experience is, I could see it just being a thing that's sold in Apple stores that, you know, mm-hmm. that there have been products like Nest and, and these Hue lights and everything that... Uh, Apple has kind of got behind on a retail level, um, or you know the the Beats uh, headphones before they wound up buying the company. So, you know, I, I could certainly see that, but I, I do think that it's going to be it's going to be product first. It's going to be where the devs go, where the experience goes, and I think that's kind of what's really so exciting about it is that right now you get a lot of people trying to make stuff, and and there's not one master of it. You know, I think that what we're going to see next is. Given Facebook is working with Samsung, and Samsung's been looking for a lot of places, ways to function without Google, without having to have Google be between their hardware and the customer. Um, And I think that we're going to see a reaction from Google where Google Cardboard is going to become, you know, we're going to see a new iteration of this very, very, very quickly. You know, perhaps, you know, uh, the dev kits, everything else like that's going to get more sophisticated and more resources because... I think it's going to be. I think it's really going to be a war between Google and Facebook, because Facebook owns Oculus and Google sees Facebook encroaching on their space, and I think they're going to want to get in there in a big way. And I think that Apple's going to say, "Well, we just want to sell hardware. You know, have something that runs on what we do, and you know, fine by us." So we'll see. Uh, it, it's it's awesome, you know. <laughs> And it's it's gonna this is the amusing part it's gonna be is looking back at when we talked about the first iPhone and kicking out over that you know looking back at how we looked at some of these other technologies and looking at where we are na- today and it's kind of funny and adorable and then you know a year from now looking back and it could be like remember how we're so excited by this but nothing's really happened that was then you know that it hasn't evolved that much. Or it might be, you know, two years from now looking back and going, oh, my God, look at how this thing has become a part of our life, or we're talking about games or experiences that are in that environment, and it becomes a transformative thing. That's that's kind of the thing as we know now that, you know, maybe one or the other could be something totally different, and that'll be kind of fun to sort of revisit. Uh, so, I'll oh, go uh, ahead, sir. In, in the lightning crashes nature of tech, uh, you know, we have this kind of dawning as... Uh, I think the the ClickWheel iPad officially uh, officially retired. Yeah, yeah. iPod, sorry. Yeah, that is uh, being sunsetted. No more ClickWheel iPod. Which I mean, about as big a revolution as existed in tech at the time when it happened. Now to go back, remember when I brought mine in to school? <laughs> yes. Well, no, I actually was gone at that point. Okay. Uh, I was, I was. It was my freshman year of of college, and I remember very distinctly watching the Super Bowl. And if I if I'm placing it correctly, it was the Raiders against the Buccaneers, and it was the first Super Bowl commercial for the iPod. And I watched this guy load up his music on his computer and dance out the house, and I was like, like, man, what a waste of money. Who would need that much music on them at any given time? <laughs> and then I got one for Christmas, and uh, it 
you know, I mean, obviously there's been many, many, many words said about the iPod and how important it was, but it was just that one moment where you realized, for me, it was like I could dial up my own soundtrack. The soundtrack to my life could be a thing. I could score my own existence, and that was mind-blowing. It, it, it changed the game. You know, it was, it, at the time, when the first iPod came out, um, and it is weird to think, it is strange to think that we have listeners that were born after that period. Like, like not just, like, you know, children, but, you know, young, young you know, 12-year-old, 13-year-old adults who are making rational decisions and having intelligent conversations about tech and all this were born after that thing came out. And... It's it's hard to think about a device that's innovation was a literal wheel you could spin and move being such such a revolution. But it was in a, in a typical of Apple. It's not the idea that like hey we put this little spinny knob on there. It was that Apple said what if because people were getting bigger and bigger music collections, many of them through we'll say uh, illicit means. That's the problem the was. You had all of this information, all of this stuff, and it was sitting there in files and file headers and file stuff. How do you organize this? And there were other applications to try to do this. They're trying to do this, but the idea of how do you bring this, how do you make this portable like a Walkman? And Apple and, you know, probably was, you know, Steve Jobs largely said, you know, you need a simple way to get to that song right away. Yeah. And that's what the click wheel did, and it gave you this sort of tactile sort of experience that went beyond just pressing buttons up or down, left or right. It gave you this one-handed way to just boom, drill down, so you could be sitting there and say, like, ah, oh, I feel like Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Boom. It was that form of the instant future. It was the realization the problem was really navigating all that information. And from there, from that thinking and saying, you know, we think we can do this really well, we got the iPhone, the iPad, and we got, you know, this Apple vision of the future. From a simple, simple, how do you organize all this music data? But it was just that getting to that core idea. Well, we saw something new last week. We did. Apple unveiled their version of what they think the smartwatch should be. First Maybe. impressions. The Apple Watch. To be fair, because I've been on the road and uh, kind of stacked with work, I've not got a chance to watch the entire keynote. I've only kind of caught reactions online and, and what I could see through the Mandarin translation of uh, the live stream as it was initially airing. Uh, but from what I understand, and I, I spoke, uh, I actually got to run into my buddy Steve Kovac, who is uh, the... Uh, a product reviewer, uh, tech writer for Business Insider, was at the Apple event, uh, got to uh, you know be hands-on with the device as much as Apple was allowing people to be hands-on with the device, which was to put on a copy of it, uh, watch a looped video demo, which was the only thing that the demo was showing, and then the Apple employees had one that they could actually do things with, but you couldn't touch it, and it, uh, they were very clear that it was not going, uh, that it was not doing as much as it will do when it's released. All that being said, I think it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating place for them to go, and, and I have similar initial reactions to 
the Apple Watch as I had to the iPad, and, and now it's funny, I, I, I didn't put two and two together, but that was the same reaction I had with the iPod, was just like, at one hand, it's like, nah, you know, it looks cool, but I don't know if it's for me, and then I, I got my hands on both those products and realized immediately, like, oh, no, this isn't what I thought it was. This is something different. This is, uh, you know, as, as Tim Cook said, this is the most personal tech experience that, that you can have. And I'm excited to see where they go with it. I think, obviously, the biggest drawback uh, will be battery, even if battery is better than people are uh, expecting it to be, which right now is going to be a hard mountain to climb because what sucks battery are the, is that beautiful screen that it's going to have. Um, it will... I, I, I believe it will be seismic. You know, it's going to be a big, uh, a big change, and I'm, I'm very excited for the dev community to be to be a part of it and people to just look at this device and between what Apple's done and where they think it'll go, make whatever the future of these kind of wearables are. Because I think this is this is what whatever it is will be the blueprint for what we see in wearables. Because nothing else that's come out yet has really been that beyond just being the parrot echo of your phone. And I you know that's that's the the thing that was very curious for me was watching this because I know before I saw this um, and, and, you know, people will accuse me of being a Kool-Aid drinker, and they would be correct, but I keep going back for the Kool-Aid. Um, uh, yeah. Before, and I was, again, I was, I was a rabid PC guy who, who, you know, just was frustrated with Mac people and whatever, and one of my friends was this big Mac boy who I used to always ridicule and make fun of because he was a Mac boy in the 90s, which, you know, was a different company then. Um, uh, but, uh, pre-Steve Jobs coming back. But anyhow... Before the announcement, if you asked me what I wanted, I would have told you I want my phone but on my wrist. Yeah. That that would have been what I would have said. Well, this is what I want. I want I want it Wi-Fi free, I want this, I want it, I want my phone but on my wrist. Of course, Apple announces that they've got the six plus, the big huge thing, and I'm a guy that, that to no end loves to make fun of people whenever they pull out their really big phablets and ask them if you know if they had to take it off their wall mount, you know. I'm the guy. I'm now going to be ordering the six plus. So partially, five inch monstrosity. Yeah, I'm going to be. I, 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 uh, I'm not saying I made a cardboard mock-up to see how it fit in my pocket, but I know I have a good friend that made a cardboard mock-up of both of them. Uh, uh, Kenner, our buddy Chris Kenner. Like, uh, it was a a shocking amount of people in my life that were cutting out pieces of card <laughs> so they could hold them. Like, it yeah. was. A, a a snapshot of my existence when I realized who are my allies. Yeah. So uh, so that that being said is that obviously if you ask me what I wanted in a phone, I'd say I want a bigger screen. So when they come out with an Apple the smartwatch, the Apple Watch, and you're like, well, what do you you know what what are my reactions to that? And and I I could see examples of where I'm like, well, I would like it if I could do all the things I do on my phone, but then have it on my watch. Apple looked at this differently. Apple said, no, this is its own device. It does its own thing. And for many people, the deal breaker is the idea that it has to be tethered to your phone. That's how we feel right now, the idea that you have to have it near your phone. And that's something I'd sort of thought. And then I had kind of an epiphany, and I thought, well, you know, when I got my iPad, I had to be in my home Wi-Fi network. Yeah. I use my, my iPad 99% of the time there. You know, and it's a big device, not designed to be taken outside of the house like, let's say, a watch would be. 
But the point, though, is, is I never feel like I'm tethered to anything. It's just the environment for it. And with a phone, you know, you know, we will get to a point where we'll have wrist-sized devices, but I don't, I don't know with a watch and a phone, you know, if we feel like you will necessarily feel that you're encumbered by it because I would think that going out of my house, if I can just have that other screen sit in my pocket and it doesn't take up, you know, a lot of room, well, big one will, but it's lightweight, et cetera, like that, and I forget about it, then, yeah, I don't, I go like, yeah, I mean, I can have a watch in my phone, and the watch can do things without the phone. The watch can tell time. It can play music. It can be a tracker. And so those times where if you just want to go to the gym and leave your phone behind, it'll do that. And if, but if you want an internet connection to those things and you need your phone, so I thought about it. I said, okay, I, I get the idea why they're okay and with okay with it being kind of tethered to a, a a phone because they said this is something different. And there were a couple things in the in the and I really highly recommend you watch the keynote to see this. How Apple thought about this in a different way than other people have before. And there are other devices out there. There's smartwatches and stuff out there that have some interesting features, but they all feel like Somebody just tried to take a phone and shrink it and put it on your wrist and say that was it. The best part of Google Smartware was taking Google Now, which is a wonderful idea, a wonderful product, which gives you these cards and updates. It says, well, we can put Google Now on your wrist. Yeah. Google Now still has enough flaws in it to not have won me over completely because the critical cards don't show up when I want them to, and then superfluous cards do. And it's, you know, it's got that Google weird algorithm and things going in there deciding things that make it frustrating, but it is still a very cool thing. And there is that little bit of delight when it pops you up a direction or something like this when you didn't expect it and it's helpful. And so it, it's, it's in a neat space. But anyhow, Apple obviously thought that Google Now is good because now they have glances, which is their version of that, which is going to be for the, I, for the Iowa Apple Watch. Which you've already seen a little bit in the, uh, in the uh, the the notification screen in in uh, in iOS uh, seven and, and eight. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're they're see yeah. uh, little like little bits of information that they uh, know about you, uh, like mm-hmm. stuff like that pop up there. But uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I think the thing that was curious is to see like where was Apple thinking differently, and what did they surprise us with, and. There were two things that right immediately popped out at me. One was that they added a, a, a physical, I mean, it's a, a physical button, a digital crown, as they call it, for for basically to replace. You can still, you know, pinch, you know, pinch and zoom, but uh, they came up with this other, this physical button on the watch using the the watch crown to let you get into something and spin it and go drill way down into something or go through a list or whatever. And I thought, you know, that's an interesting choice there because this is a company that hates buttons, but they've added a button to it. And I think that for them, they look at, like, the context of it, they see it as twofold. The watch is either something you never look at and you interact with it by touching, but when you do look at it, you're going to want to get through a lot of information and get to it quickly. They didn't put a bunch of screens you swipe through like the phone. All of your apps are there on one big screen in this sort of honeycomb thing, and you, you, you pan around to your seat you want, and then you drill down to it, and it's the idea that, you know, how would you design an iOS interface in 2014 versus 2007 is another thing, too, is that it's a ground-up thing where the iPad and the iPhone sort of needed to be iterative of each other. This gets to be something different because you can have much, much faster processors. You can put all those things in one place and do that. That was one thing that was interesting to me to say. Like, they've got, they've really, really thought through this, and I don't think it's just a half-assed marketing solution. I think this is an engineering solution. 
it seems like it, you know this is like like we we talked about the click wheel. You know, this has been their their uh, really kind of the secret to their success is being able to manipulate the device. For sure, and I think that's that's the thing is that we look at the click wheel like it's just a wheel, but no, it's this other way to get you know to drill down into stuff very quickly. And then you know the way that it it does vibration alerts. They have something they call it the Taptic Engine, and they talk about how this thing feels like it's tapping on your wrist instead of, you know, the descriptions of the of the you know Android wear right now is it's it's like a phone vibrating on your wrist. It's a jarring sort of thing, which will get better. But Apple out of the gate says, no, this is different. This is intimate. This is on your wrist. This should be gentle. This should be the kind of thing that just subtly tells you, hey, you're getting a call, or hey, here's a notification. And that was that was. A pivotal point for me was for them to, for me to understand that they see this context differently. Being on your wrist isn't just how do you put a screen on your wrist. What does that fully mean? They talk about the data it gathers, and now they're talking about how it interacts with you. Once this thing is making skin contact, it's touching in that way. They look at it in a different way, and even in the ways you communicate, they show how you could you know you could tap messages to your friends, which. You know, I think you know. I could, I could think of many situations. I'd be at a party with a girlfriend where I'd be like, "Just tap me three times when you want to go," would have saved a lot of trouble. Yeah. And it's those touches there, things like that, that make me think about it differently. But also, what's exciting to think about is apps on the iPhone tend to be better than desktop apps, and that's because developers have to think about things differently. They get a reinvent from where they start from, and they simplify. When you start creating apps for the Apple Watch, you're going to be in a situation where you're going to say, "Okay, I have to get down, do exactly what the person asks me. I can't have them go through a bunch of screens or have them press a bunch of buttons. If it's voice dictation or whatever, I've got to get it right the first time, and I need to know about my user, and I need to make things better." I'm really excited about that. So, so excited! I wrote a 5,000 word Tumblr post about why I plan on writing books on the Apple Watch. Yeah, which. Uh- which I have not uh, finished yet because it, it is indeed five thousand words. But uh, but uh, you guys, well, where is that? Andrewmain.com. Yeah, Andrewmain.com. Click blog. It's Andrewmain.tumblr.com. But yeah, so uh, that, and I'll get I'll cut to the I'll cut to the chase on that. And why I'm excited about that is because dictation software sucks. Dictation software technically it's very good at recognizing words. It's horrible with punctuation because they just assume you'll just say Justin walked into a bar. Period. Yeah. Someone looked up from the table, period. That's not a natural way to tell a story. It's not a natural way to dictate a story to somebody who's an intelligent stenographer. That doesn't work. The options, and then after you do that, you then have to spend time going back over your copy, adding grammar, etc. And there are some people who dictate like that, but most people, most I don't know any professional writers who use dictation software directly like that. I'm sure there are, but the vast majority don't because of having to say grammar and punctuation, and it's really hard for a machine to understand that, too. I can imagine with an Apple Watch, using dictation, and then using my finger to touch the surface of it, is that every time I want to say period, I just tap it once. Every time I want a comma, I just stroke it. Every time I want to do a new paragraph, I do a line across. If I want an exclamation point, I press it hard. And that's another thing, too, which is interesting with the Apple Watch, is it just doesn't understand touches. It understands the force pressure of a touch, which is a different kind of experience than we're used to. But anyhow, I can already see how it can make dictation better because I'm instead of having a screen I look at, it's a screen I never look at. And that's where it's going to be really exciting to see is applications designed for you never to look at a screen. Not about the screen, but just about touching it, telling it what you want, 
not using complicated codes and stuff, but just being smart enough to think that it knows what you want and then to give you the ability to simply interact with it and tell it, you know, yes, no, etc. But I digress. Well, listen, uh, it's, I think we've, we've long talked about the idea of software w- without a screen. I, I mean, I think we both kind of uh, longed for the idea of, of a more kind of just audio internet. You know, I think that there's, there's you know, a, a huge kind of potential there for at least, you know, to play around with that idea. I mean, it's just it's interesting to, to think about that and 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 to to look at that as as its own platform, you know, mm-hmm. not just a, a notification center like the sure. Phone. And that, that's a big thing we've thought about. Is it and for you know for over ten years, I've thought about the idea of like what would the internet be like if it could be an audio experience. You have to think about things differently, and giving meta tags and information and stuff becomes critical. But now we have tools that can be pretty good at doing that. You know, you have software that can sort through photographs and tell you if there are famous people in there, and it can recognize that. They have software that tells you who your friends are, et cetera. But when you start, when you get rid of that visual component and you create interactions designed for when you're doing other things, average person spends 15 hours a week in their car, 15 hours a week in their car, and that's a place where they're legally not supposed to be looking at a screen. Yeah, that's 15 hours at which we can be interacting with something on our wrist by touching things, starting, stopping, or using voice dictation. It's why Apple, Microsoft, and Google have been trying really hard to create applications or iOSs or operating systems that function in cars. I think that the the watch, Apple Watch, Google Gear, etc., or Android Wear are going to be uh, going to have their killer applications. I think are going to be in cars. I love audiobooks. You know, to listen to an audiobook continuously means, um, you know, what I, at night is to open up my app, turn on my Bluetooth speaker, play it through my Bluetooth speaker, get into my car, sort through the windows to find the, the thing and tell it to start or use voice dictation to do it. But having that just be right available on my wrist and be able to start and stop it with a touch means I'll be listening to audiobooks in many, many more places. And you can play an audiobook straight from your watch out on a walk. You can, you know, you can do this with a phone already. I get that, but the idea is to to take those interactions away from having to have the device in your hand to where you forget about it. And so I think podcasts. I think you get a lot more opportunities to listen to podcasts when the listening is seamless because we've solved those short little problems. Yeah, and oftentimes it is very. It is just kind of eliminating those little interruptions that sort of make all the difference. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow. Uh, feel free to check it out if you feel like 5,000 words about this. Um, it's very good. I know Patrick Delahanty was raving about it, and, uh, and and from what I read, it is it is uh, very much in, in the vein of, of Andrew Maine's writing. Very uh, thorough, interesting, and, uh, and and outside the box. In fact, Andrew, uh, there there's a piece of Andrew Maine writing that is uh, is 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 in the in the offing. Here. We, we the the time draws nigh for the release. Of the the physical copy and, and audio book of Angel Killer, a Jessica Bra- a Blackwood novel. Dude, I am super excited. September twenty third, Angel Killer hits the shelves, both physically and virtually. Um, it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. This is my first uh, actual work with a publisher. Work with an amazing editor. I worked with this editor. Her name's Hannah Wood. 
And she, this book, if you read Angel Killer before, this book is about 30% bigger. Um, it's had uh, the wonderful input and benefit of somebody who very much loves the character and has given me great advice and helped me give you some more backstory, expand on stuff, tell, sort of go through my notes and things that I wanted to tell, but I didn't tell in the, this, the, the, the original ebook version. It's a substantially improved upon novel, and I really, really mean that. It, it's larger, not because I said they told me to make it bigger. It's just going through there to revisit it and improving things, and et cetera. It ended up coming out, you know, being a bit bigger of a book, but it's, 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 and, but still just tighter or tighter than it was before. I'm very, very proud of this. I'm very, very excited about this. I'm very, very grateful for the help that I had working on this. So that's Angel Killer, which is available on Amazon. Um, it's it's a, a bit different experience than you read it before. Every paragraph's been touched. Every The hands-on have been, you know, everywhere on it. And again, I'm so grateful to my editor, Hannah Wood, who, you know, if I show you, you know, the, the version that I got back, it, it was, you know, a red-filled entire, you know, a manuscript of that, and it was, these were very conscious thoughts and things like this, and, you know, adding details, and sometimes, you know, I didn't necessarily agree with everything, but it was just just a very, very, very good experience for me. My writing has become better since working with Hannah on this book. The sequel, which I'm in the middle of revising right now, uh, you know, is, has been it from that, but I'm excited. It's my first print book, so it's coming out. Um, just a little over a week. You can pre-order now. Pre-orders count towards first week sales, I'm told, which is cool. So if you have an interest in the book, that's great. It's going to be coming out on Audible, too. So if you're an Audible listener, there will be an Audible version. Yeah, man, look at this right here. Uh, we got uh, Angel Killer, Jessica Blackwood novel. Um, you have uh, audio, or, uh, aud- aud- Audible audiobook for 25 bucks or one credit. Audio CD, if you're going to be that guy, you can get it for $30.29, paperback. I have a friend who asked about that. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so yes. go ahead and check it out, man. I, I uh, you know, obviously I worked with Andrew on, uh, on, on it, on the original ebook version and, uh, and, and some of the revisions that they made for uh, this version. It, it, Andrew's not kidding, man. There's a lot of stuff that even from the earliest times of, of, of you talking about the story were elements that you wanted to put in, you wanted to have uh, as part of it and, and you know, just to make it as tight of a story as you could initially, you didn't put in. Those have been fleshed out and brought to totally new levels. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'm excited to listen to the audio book, man. I'm going to get all all the versions of it. I'm going to get me a, a Kindle, a paperback, and the and the Audible uh, audiobook version, but I... I, I helped you uh, go through and, and select your, your narrators, and I'm excited to see what they did. Um, and also, like the Kindle version, one of the reasons I liked, uh, I was happy to work with HarperCollins and Bourbon Street Books on this is their pricing on this is better than a lot of others. So the Kindle version is only like $4.74, even though it's a major HarperCollins release, and you know that's with you know, the Amazon discounts, whatever. But anyhow, uh, I wanted to try to make this thing as accessible as I can. So, you know, the Kindle version's under five bucks. It's a full-on, full-length novel, etc. Um, anyhow, I'm excited about it, and uh, I've had a lot of people tell me on Twitter, email me that hey, they went ahead, they liked it before they bought it, or they hadn't read it before and they bought it. And I, I appreciate that. I really, 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 really appreciate that. Thank you guys. And, and I'll tell you what. Don't take our word for it. 229 reviews on this thing, and it is uh, uh, four and a half stars. The majority of the reviews that are on this book are five-star reviews. You don't see that a lot. Uh, this is a, a an absolute 
uh, accomplishment. And, and that was that was the version one. And this one, the new one, which has now been reviewed by Publishers Weekly and Booklist, Publishers Weekly uh, called it delightful. Booklist gave it a very nice review. The reviews from that part of the you know that part of the world, the grown up world, so to speak, have been awesome. Have been fantastic. You know, as they've seen you know this new version. So that's been even more well received. So um, I'm very very thrilled. So everybody go ahead and, and uh, let's make it happen, man. Go ahead and, and check out Angel Killer, Jessica Blackwood novel. We'll talk about it again next week because that will be the closest uh, episode to it coming out. But September 23rd is when you need to buy it by. Let's go ahead and make as big a splash as we can for Andrew uh, right here. And and listen, if you haven't read the book, you're going to dig it. Uh, it's it's uh, it, it's really, 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 really smart. And it's, uh, it's, it, it's something that I feel like anybody who listens to this show will very much appreciate in terms of uh, how this story unfolds and, and how the, the media and the public at large are fascinated and, and hoodwinked by the events of the book. I think it's, it's very much up the weird things alley. And I've mentioned this briefly, but I don't know if I really fully explain here. My writing from Public Enemy Zero to Angel Killer, the novels I put out there, I didn't find my voice as a writer until I had the Weird Things podcast, until I was able to have conversations with you and Brian and then our audience and people in the back and forth, and I saw we have this shared interest, that we love crazy, we love the weird, we love the strange, we love science, and we love understanding why we think crazy things or why we're fascinated by that. And that gave me a voice. It gave me an approach to go into writing and help me figure out how I was going to tell stories, who I was going to be telling stories to. And my audience is you, Justin. It's the people listening. When I sit down to write a book, know that it's being written literally for you. Patrick Delahanty, Rebecca Graves, everybody. I mean, literally, it's, it is, it's, that's, that's where I'm thinking about this. Like, how do I entertain these people? Anybody else who's come on board, thank you. Yeah. You know, but it, it, it starts here. And, and I'm not trying to be patronizing or whatever, but I mean, that's absolutely being sincere. That's I found my voice as a writer once I found this audience. Very exciting, very exciting stuff. I, I'm I'm excited to read it. I, I haven't read the full finished uh, new version, and I'm pumped to do it on September 23rd. Go ahead and check it out. Go uh, go on Amazon or or your your preferred book buying uh, website and, and make it happen. I, I, listen, I'm gonna give you a little, uh, you know, uh, in motion, a sign of the support for Angel Killer. Andrew, you ready for this? All right. I'm watching here in the chat room. We have uh, one of our, our, our listeners here. Uh, uh, I think it's going to be safe to say an Android fan. Uh, we, we did a lot of talking about Apple devices. He says, I wouldn't accept the job that required me to carry an iPhone. I'd look for a new job. It's not necessarily even Apple's fault. I hate people who use the devices. Sycophant sheep. And then, three lines down, we start talking about Angel Killer. Woo! Angel Killer! <laughs> All exclamation <laughs> points. That is the cross section of support that this book has generated. Go ahead and be part of the movement. Go get Angel Killer. There you go. Hey, listen, what's right for us is what's right for us. What's right for you is what's right for you. I think Angel Killer is right for everybody. Uh, there we go. And that's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, Justin, do we want to do picks? Uh, sure. Yes, we can do picks. Uh, do I'll you start. go ahead and, and do a pick first? I had a, a bout of insomnia last night, and uh, I uh, ended up watching parts of other movies and then 
finally watching an entirely a film which uh, I'd seen, you know, advertised before. I'd seen it on Netflix. It finally came out on Netflix streaming, and I said, you know, put it in my list to go watch later. And I finally decided, you know what, I'll watch this because um, it's, you know, it's it's very much on topic of weird things. And that is The Machine. It's a movie directed by uh, Kara Dog James, which is, you know, kind of a really awesome name. Um, and it's about this guy working at this, and it feels like kind of like every 80s direct-to-video science fiction film. Mm-hmm. It's about a guy working at a government facility, and it takes place like in Wales, a government facility and developing an artificial intelligence and what happens from there, and the artificial intelligence of taking the form eventually of a, of a beautiful young woman. And it, it deals with a lot of interesting themes. It's it's a, it's a I don't want to call it a low budget. It's not like a paranormal activity type level movie, but it's a you know it's it's a smaller film. It's a much much smaller film, but it's action. It's shot uh, very very artistically. It's very much inspired by you know the the soundtrack is very much a Blade Runner esque sort of soundtrack. It deals with artificial intelligence and consciousness. And there's a very kind of cool opening scene dealing with you know a Turing test, etc. Um, but it's a fun little movie. I recommend it if you are if you really like sci-fi and robots and you know beautiful girls who are robots. Check it out. It stars Katie Lotz and Toby Stevens. Katie Lotz, I think she's on uh, Arrow. And uh, again, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I what didn't know what to expect out of it, but it was you know it's, it's a smaller movie and it, it kind of stays within the space that it starts off in. But nonetheless, it was a very I was I was entertained by it. And I could tell that the the writer-director, Caradog James, put a lot of thought into it, really asked questions about artificial intelligence and tried to tell something that was going to be smart. So that's my pick is The Machine. Available now on Amazon streaming. Instant, excuse me, excuse me, Netflix streaming. That's on Amazon too, yeah. All right. Uh, so I don't know if I told you this story, but we were in Dragon Con a couple weeks ago. And mm-hmm. a... Uh, panel, and it was kind of like a, you know, for fans of weird things, but it was basically just me, Brian, and then we called up uh, Veronica and Tom. But after the panel was over, a very nice man comes up to me uh, while I'm still standing behind the, the table there. He hands me his card and just walks away in a kind of mysterious, uh, mysterious sort of way. Uh, you know, he says, uh, enjoy the talk. And walks away. Look at the card. None other than Lauren Coleman of, of Cryptomundo.com, which is, uh, I think, if you are into to, uh, 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 cryptozoological stuff, he is kind of the, the uh, you know, I guess, so to speak, the 800-pound gorilla if we're talking about, uh, <laughs> about uh, you know, uh, Fantastic Beasts. But... He's great. He's one of the best writers on on uh, Bigfoot. Uh, the blog uh, was is, is consistently updated. It's not written like, you know, somebody's uh, scrawling their their manic uh, writings on the side of a uh, you know sheet of cardboard. Like, it, it's very well done. He's a very good writer, and I want to recommend everybody if you dig weird things and uh, and he very much uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed our talk, which was entitled Bigfoot isn't real, but he's awesome, which has kind of been our our crest uh, for weird things since it's it's very inception and uh, he was very very cool. I got to talk to him for a little bit, but go ahead and check out cryptomundo.com. Sweet, very cool, sir. 
Um, you know, we managed without Bri Bri. We did. And uh, I uh, I don't think I'll be able to do next Sunday. We'll see. I probably won't. I'm going to be in Singapore, so. Um, well, we'll 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 try to figure something out. Um, when are you? Yeah, we can do the scheduling stuff afterward. But but uh, we will have some sort of weird things representation next week, and we will make sure that everybody knows that. Uh, yeah, I'll be on a plane at this time next week. So. Yeah. Well, we'll see what we can do. Yeah. So, um. There you have it. Thank you very much, sir. It's been weird without Brian. <laughs>